it was moments such as being a keynote speaker um, and uh, you know being handed something on the assumption that I was there as food services and and the assumption that again if you were racialized in certain spaces you only occupied certain roles was certainly clear so we are here um, in Ottawa and I'm really excited to talk to you Yabon today um, about uh, your role your journey your juggle as a mom as a career woman mm-hmm. really eager to just hear maybe let's start from the beginning how did what's the beginning for you thank you thank you for having me here and i think what's the beginning for me in terms of my career journey yeah. um comes down to you know i i originally graduated from simon fraser university mm-hmm. um after studying a, a couple of years in post-secondary in West Africa, in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually graduated from Simon Fraser with my undergrad in business, but with a particular concentration on management studies. So management information systems and management organization studies. And then went on to do a specialist um, MBA in leadership and organization change. Mm -hmm. Because I had been increasingly, towards the end of my undergrad, I took an organization development course and and really I would say fell in love with the possibility mm-hmm. of human potential in the mm-hmm. workplace um, and also in community and all that being able to apply the social sciences to real business challenges, organizational challenges, community challenges mm-hmm. um, to help people get from where they were to where they want to go mm-hmm. um, was really um, intriguing for me. Mm-hmm. And so and so I continued on and, and really entered the field, uh, st- field, starting first through my co-op journey, journeys at Simon Fraser, mm-hmm. focused um, on working with firms that were in the sort of strategic HR and organization development space. Right. Um, long and short, what that led to was that I worked in consulting space mm-hmm. within that specialized field for the first few years of my career. Right. Um, I remember getting to a point where I was facilitating this strategy conversation with a senior leadership team and and the group was stuck. And I realized that, you know, I was out of tools. My sort of group dynamics toolkit felt a bit um, inadequate right. for the moment that we were in. And I had always toyed with going back to school. So mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons. But, you know, a few other factors um, that led into me returning to school to do um, a PhD in the field mm-hmm. of human and organization systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so fantastic to do that work. But in particular, I think what happened was when I went to do the PhD, I not only was focused then on organization development, mm-hmm. but I brought into human development. Mm-hmm. I remember how much my global experience, being a black woman, an African woman in the world, mm-hmm. began to matter as we talked about research methods and right. the idea of using your lived experience as research really mm-hmm. captured me. And I ended up um, doing research in post-conflict um, Uh, topics related to post-conflict, post-traumatic growth, Mm -hmm. um, what leadership looks like when people have had significant social trauma directly related to issues such such as um, social justice, social Mm -hmm. change, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, 
conflicts in the world that were grounded in systemic challenges. Mm. Yeah. So rich. So why don't we dig a little deeper on, um, you talked about storytelling and you talked about your positioning as a black woman. Um, how has that shaped your journey and how has that shaped your experience as well? I mean, it's, it's everything, I think. Um, <laughs> well, and I think part of our journey as humans in general is, is always this oscillation as we grow between our socialized selves mm -hmm. and our individualized or differentiated self as we figure out who am I in the world as the world sees me, mm -hmm. but who am I going to choose to be? in spite of, despite of, and because of how I'm seen in the world. Mm -hmm. So um, I think by now the world knows or yeah. should know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that race, racial constructs are, are socially constructed yeah. um, and how and how any of us mm -hmm. are, are seen in the world uh, is, is socially constructed. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that suddenly was a, a journey where I grew up um, – uh, and feel really blessed to have grown up in a in a really strong family environment. Mm -hmm. um, I have an amazing sibling group. I have two brothers mm -hmm. and five fierce sisters, nice. and so I had and and amazing parents that were both leaders in public sector mm -hmm. in their communities. A mother that has worked for women and children's rights, mm -hmm. and so I had amazing role models and shoulders to stand on. Mm -hmm. And I know often in the black experience that can be a struggle um, yeah. for role models and representation. So, you know, growing up, you don't think about those things. And I didn't think about it that yeah. way. Um, but, you know, I, I, in that context, mm -hmm. grew up very much thinking that, you know what, my merits will show for itself. Right. And so while I intellectually mm -hmm. understood social constructs, right. and what it might mean for me to be um, a black woman in the world, especially in the West. Mm. I didn't internalize it until I started having experiences that very much impacted me and had me realize, you know, I might think my merit will show for itself. Mm -hmm. However, the world sees me um, within the construct of my racialized self, in mm. addition to whatever else, uh, or whoever else and whatever else I might represent. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, let's dig yeah. there. Like, so what, yeah. can you share an example of a time when you're, um, where that became very real for you? Because again, a lot of the times we, we know it in theory, mm -hmm. but that first, I don't think we ever get over the feeling. Right? Like for <laughs> me, I can say, um, I always thought that, you know, there's the climb, but once I've, climbed and not arrived but once i've reached a certain point i've established my um like my reputation will speak for itself like yeah I, we've I yeah, made the exactly. Point. exactly so so i still find myself surprised mm -hmm. almost naively mm -hmm. like uh, are we really <laughs> still gonna have this conversation so i want to hear like maybe share an experience mm -hmm. of when you it just came face to face and you're like, are you kidding? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and as a quick aside, the, the surprise that you just described, um, is, is theoretically our defense against the reality. So this that there's, true. there's some research on that. And, mm -hmm. um, I have colleagues that have written about that. So, um, you know, this is me saying that's okay too. Yeah. Because uh, in a lot mechanism. of ways, exactly. In a lot of ways, it's yeah. our coping and survival yeah. mechanisms. True. And I think what's important for black women, African women in the world mm -hmm. is um, realizing that and also looking for our places of thriving. 
so that we're not always in survival mode. Mm -hmm. So to get back to the question, Mm -hmm. what what were the moments for me? Mm -hmm. I'm going to answer that personally as well as professionally. So personally, I mentioned um, my family is from, and I certainly identify as being from Sierra Leone, Mm -hmm. very proud of my Sierra Leonean heritage, grew up in the capital Freetown, Mm -hmm. which has a strong connection to uh, the Canadian, Black Canadian context in terms of Freetown was the location where Nova Scotians, um, black Nova Scotians, who asked to be repatriated Mm -hmm. to the continent because of hardships and um, continued oppressions they were experiencing after uh, being part of the black loyalists and otherwise arriving in Nova Scotia, um, decided that they would rather return to the continent. And Mm -hmm. Freetown was, um, you know, there's a historical context people can look up. Freetown was where um, black Nova Scotians uh, ended up. And is one of the founding groups of the um, of of the city, which ended up being a part of the country Sierra Leone and a British colony. Right. And so, you know, we learn a little bit, but you know, mostly learned sort of you know colonial European history, oh, course, yeah. but knew a little bit about uh, what it meant to that that Sierra Leone was um, had the symbolism of Freetown and the reality of Freetown. Mm-hmm. Um, I say this because I knew that theoretically, but the impact of being a black person first really Mm -hmm. uh, in the world first really struck me uh, when I left Freetown to arrive in Canada Mm -hmm. in in sort of post-conflict, but continue the continued conflict of of Sierra Leone. Um, For context, I was born outside of Sierra Leone. I was born in Germany, um, grew up my first few years in Europe, and then had returned Mm -hmm. to Sierra Leone with my family to live and to go to school. Mm -hmm. I had intended to come to Simon Fraser for my master's, um, but left early because of the conflict. So I arrived, I was arriving as a privately sponsored refugee. My mother at this time still had... um, um, I believe still had her diplomatic service passport right. just from public sector and diplomatic um, mm-hmm. sector roles that my father had held. Mm-hmm. And um, and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Wow. It didn't matter. And you're used to this kind of, um, I don't just call it privilege. I, I, it's probably yeah. shielding. Right? Yeah. And yeah. You never had to contend with. <laughs> yeah. With, with blackness in the sense of feeling targeted. Right. Um, and, um, and I would say, yes, there's a relative privilege to how we had grown up. I think we all have to contend with, you know, by the time you enter certain spaces, you have relative privilege right. and your intersectionality matters to how the world will see you. And I think that's what I started contending with right. arriving um, to transit in the U.S. and being held up. And being questioned, ultimately missing our flights, ultimately actually having security assigned to us to make sure we do not, in quote, escape into the United States. Um, (laughs) Arrived in Vancouver a day late. Mm -hmm. And and in the shock of that, like trying to make sense of what just happened. Well, and then um, early on, met a friend from UBC, University of British Columbia, which I know you attended. Um, Met a... Uh, a black woman that became a good friend. And we went shopping for my first re- winter, Vancouver winter coat. Right. I know here in Ottawa, <laughs> exactly. it's a different kind of winter. Ottawa winter, uh, that's a whole other story. Right. But, yeah. but I arrived in the spring and the season was changing. I was starting school in September and I was starting to feel the chill. And mm. I was like, okay, let's go shopping. And had that first experience of being followed by security in yes. the mall. 
And my friend was sort of hitting the roof and I'm going, oh, relax. They're not really following us because of that in my naivete. Right, of course. And, and then realized, in fact, that that was the case. Right. Um, so, you know, was questioned about what we were doing and, you know, why we were walking around and spending too long in changing rooms. Of course. So our assumption is someone had assumed we were trying to shoplift and steal something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So there was that. So those personal awakenings started to happen. Mm -hmm. But professionally... I would say it was moments such as being a keynote speaker yeah. um, and, uh, you know, being handed something on the assumption that I was there as food services. Okay. Now, I want to shout out to our food service of workers course. all around uh, North America. Right. Um, and, you know, no, 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 shade no, their, their no work, belittling right. of that work at all. Right. Um, and, and the assumption that, again, if you were racialized in certain spaces, you only occupied certain roles mm -hmm. was certainly clear. Mm -hmm. um, experiences such as being at a hotel um, and walking into the elevator and the assumption, uh, again, that I was housekeeping staff mm. when I was the facilitator for the very for the group workshop. that the this person was, whatever, right? <laughs> this person was about to attend. Right. Um, so I, how I, do you recover yeah. from those moments in the moment? Because for me, I mean, unfortunately, it's an experience that I'm, I'm very much accustomed to. Like at the airport, I'm always randomly selected. That's right. To yeah, and lots of that in my experience right? like, too. So it's like, yeah. oh great, I should buy a lottery ticket if I'm I always <laughs> so randomly selected, right? Um, but my question is, how do you how do you recover? Because I always find yeah. that um, I am never able to do it in real time. I it always have it's like the deer in the headlights. Yeah, and and and, yeah. and every time because mm -hmm. it happens, unfortunately it happens often, often enough. Yeah, and I found again the higher you go, almost the more often it it happens. Which for me, I that again. Yeah, um, what you're calling that the self-defense mechanism, it still surprises me. Like, really? Like, we're really gonna have this conversation? Again? Yeah, yeah. So, so but yeah. how do you recover? Because I've always found um, that it just stuns me, and then I'm, and then I, when I'm in my bed, I'm thinking of a million ways I could mm -hmm. have responded differently. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that is that has been true in my experience as well. Um, coincidentally, I've also had one of those moments at government offices here of in course. Ottawa um, when I was with another black woman who right. is, you know, senior vice president level. And we were asked for IDs and things like that when right. other people were walking by and not being asked. So right. unfortunately, mm -hmm. reality all around. Mm -hmm. um, how do you recover? It's such a great question. I am definitely thankful and um, know just from leading conversations in this space, mm -hmm. supporting others, coaching others, that I definitely have a significant advantage that comes with coming out of the field of leadership and organization development right. and having studied group dynamics and um, interpersonal dynamics mm -hmm. and and things like that. And um and and having been able to use my scholarship, I definitely identify as a scholar practitioner. But what occurred for me in um, graduate school that I, I started mentioning earlier was using my lived experiences research. Mm, yes. So I have um, a couple of papers that have been grounded in sort of the autoethnography of mm -hmm. um, what I call identity interrogation, Ooh, like okay. the. <laughs> Dial it back because you just took us to school now. Autoethnography. 
autoethnography. Let's break break that down for us a little bit. Yeah. So um, autoethnography is using your lived experience as data Mm -hmm. when you um, start to examine a question that's grounded um, in your social identity and you know you're a member of that group. So let's say I'm writing about black women's women experiences Mm -hmm. and I am a black woman and therefore I use my experiences uh, and start to journal them as field notes. Right. Right. Authoritatively. Correct. Because I think a lot of the time we we have this distance where I'm not the expert, right? Yeah. Like I'm just one yeah. person. And it's certainly, I'm sure it's not saying that your experience speaks for all. Absolutely. But there's an authority yeah. that comes from coming yeah. from that standpoint. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the authority of using my standpoint and declaring that standpoint mm-hmm. in my research and in my writings. Right. And also... Um, integrating the rigor Mm -hmm. of qualitative research because um, remember this is also using um, uh, the experience of my qualitative research background Uh, and so using all of that but realizing long and short I think even in the uh, academy Mm -hmm. there is often a preference for in quote empirical research that's you know objective and there's a whole research there's a whole uh, debate around you know what is knowledge and who forms knowledge Mm -hmm. and what is considered um Mm. Uh, valid knowledge making Um, but certainly the qualitative research traditions Mm -hmm. supports um, using lived experience Mm -hmm. with um, the adequate rigor as part of your research and that's what I meant in terms of ethnography is one of those qualitative research um, fields and traditions. And how do you then use that to really um, negotiate it internally? Right, because there's yeah. always that tension where you know who you are, you know what you can do, yeah. you know what you've done, yeah. Um, and then you're in this context where all of that comes down to your black, therefore comes back to where are you from, where are you from, again? <laughs> where are you from originally, where, where you know, really where from? you're really from, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, absolutely. So, and I think that comes back to your question of how do you recover, right? And and what what where I meant to go with with you know talking about lived experience is. Um, that I now am more able to recognize the pattern that is occurring because I've also spent time in inquiry about it, in writing about it from from a research standpoint. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I, you know, the steps to to figuring out what happened um, are are a bit faster for me. Um, So it's very telling the times that I feel stuck (laughs) and walk away and go, Huh? Uh-huh. So for me, then that that sort of signals, okay, maybe there was more there and right. more opportunity for reflection and inquiry on my part. Yeah. But I think those uh, again, my background gives me a, a bit of um, uh, faster recovery. Right. And you have the tools to kind of right. process it, right? In more in real time, right? And and really the ability to um, one of my areas of interest and um, research as well is transformative learning, mm-hmm. and so what I've also done at the intersection of transformative learning and identity, mm-hmm. um, as I wrote about identity interrogation, is also about relational connection. Mm-hmm. How do I help people connect? even though the, the burden is is sometimes on me in these contexts, yeah. but connect to what it is that just occurred mm-hmm. and move beyond these sort of stranger interactions that are problematic in terms of when you're trying to put people in a box right. because you see um, a visible difference right. um, or, or difference of any form um, and realize that, that really this is a human-to-human interaction. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you become aware 
of of the impact of what you might have just asked right. um, and, and try to move beyond that to form real relationships. Mm-hmm. So for me, it can be as simple, all that mm-hmm. to say can be as simple as deliberately asking the question back. Mm-hmm. So I was very surprised at how much I realized part of the burden of what occurs is just taking it in, right. being defensive, maybe answering it, getting it, angry, yeah. and then walking away. And then I thought, okay, why not? Mm-hmm. So now, you know, in these, um, awkward moments, which yeah. I've also spoken about lots, um, is also just normalizing it by mm-hmm. also asking questions back, the okay. same questions back of the individual. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's interesting to watch people being surprised. Right. So how do you ask it? Because I want to like, so what would you do? Would you say, um, what would you say? Yeah. You know, um, it could be as simple as someone says, where are you from? And I say, um, uh, you know, Vancouver, Canada, and they go, Oh no, where were you, where are you really from? Where's right. your family from? Uh, at this point, I often smile and answer the question and say, Oh yeah, I'm also from Sierra Leone, Freetown. That's where my family is from. That's my ethnic background. Tell me about yours. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, tell me about yours. And they're like, Oh, mine. I'm just normal. I'm just from. Exactly. (laughs) And I've had the whole range to, oh, yeah, no, I'm just from here. And I'm like, no, no, no. Tell me where your family background is from. Unless I'm speaking to an indigenous colleague. um, No one's from Canada. Then I'm reminding folks of you might generationally Mm -hmm. have had a longer history here, but also being careful with that assumption. There are black Canadians that have generationally um, been here for hundreds of years and still um, the present day um, descendants of those uh, black Canadians get asked, where are you from? So, you know, in one of the papers I wrote, I I also um, put out a call for people to um, write about the experiences of of that question. And a couple stood out to me. Um, uh, One one person wrote back saying, um, you know, it's, I'm paraphrasing, this okay. is not exactly, I can't remember exactly what they said, yeah. but long and short, um, mentioning that they were white Canadian and used to be defensive about this. And then, um, you know, questions, you know, seeing things su- such as the thread that mm-hmm. resulted from my open question, uh, um, reminded them that their family and, and that it had started to occur to them that their family, um, immigrated here because of economic hardship from Ireland, right. um, as during the potato farming has been here a few generations, but mm-hmm. they almost never get asked where they're from. True. And that what had occurred for them was being, in community mm-hmm. um, with um, folks like me and others and realizing how often, um, you yeah, know, you know, for a second generation black Canadians right. or just visible, visibly um, different, different than the normative mm-hmm. um, white Canadians get asked that question. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the examples of, and there were a few others of mm-hmm. folks with um, very ethnically diverse backgrounds, very international backgrounds right. that would be seen um, through the social construct of whiteness, mm-hmm. um, where, where folks were saying, yeah, I have all of this in my background and I almost never get asked this, right, right. Um, which underscores who gets asked mm-hmm. and who doesn't and what that reinforces mm-hmm. and what it doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, what it normalizes and what, and what is deemed as different and and therefore worthy of inquiry devoid of relationship because i want to be clear Mm -hmm. um there's also times when 
there is relationship developed where these questions occur naturally and i'm more than happy to and share of my family background correct that's that's part of the bonding as you're getting correct. to know someone genuinely correct better. and it's 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 a two-way street and correct I think it is quite different exactly from that random stranger two-second experience correct. and then they're gone right yeah that and experience good english and thank then, you and then they're like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also a common one, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, it is about the context of mutuality, of reciprocity, of relationship building. That's the difference. And intention too. And right? intention. Um, both ways. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about your work. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think I'm, I'm so... I, I'm enamored and I think a number of people who've seen sort of your growth, your development and, and where you've, you actually now play that role. So you're, she's vice president (laughs) of, um, people, um, equity equity and inclusion at Simon Fraser university. And I think that's just amazing. Um, but well-deserved. So not amazing in the, you know, I wouldn't expect it. I think it's, it's actually a very natural next step. Uh, can you share your journey to that role and then some of what you're, um, it's, it's, you've been in the role probably just about six months or thereabouts. So, so what have you observed and, and where are you looking to kind of grow that work and that role? Yeah. And, and thank you for all of that. And, um, uh, I'm thrilled to be supporting, um, in post-secondary, uh, in a role at this level. Um, I think, you know, picking up on in terms of my journey, I mentioned uh, studying in the consulting space and then moving into public sector mm-hmm. um, and progressively moving through roles um, such as regional advisor on leadership and organization development to managing consultants in the space of leadership and organization development and organization change in healthcare. Um, so building an internal practice to support all things leadership and organization development and change within the healthcare system in British Columbia, mm-hmm. um, holding a number of regional lead roles for the s- sector in BC, um, and then moving sort of to senior leader roles in terms of director, executive director, mm-hmm. and um, uh, being in a, in a chief people officer role for people and culture before mm-hmm. um, taking on this role and in, where, in post-secondary. In was that, was that so also all public sector, so healthcare, mm-hmm. um, Crown Corporation, right. and then um, now post-secondary. Mm-hmm. So basically, once I moved out of consulting space, and I actually, in a quick bridge there, worked at Simon Fraser University for two years okay. um, in you know what would now be considered executive education, right. and then moved into public sector. And I, I pretty much have stayed in the public sector space mm-hmm. um, up until now. I think you know that that journey. Um, uh, career-wise has been delightful. I have enjoyed the increased complexity yeah. and has have leaned into it, um, as I mentioned, really identify as being a scholar practitioner. So mm-hmm. while I continued to work um, professionally in post-secondary in the space, I also continued to write and research mm-hmm. and engage with colleagues in, in partnerships to advance my scholarship in the mm-hmm. space um, and have also taught alongside as sessional or adjunct faculty, Mm -hmm. um, including at Simon Fraser University, um, but also um, sessional at Concordia University or Mm -hmm. guest lecturing um, in the in the US where I went to school for my for my doctoral studies. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I, I really have stayed engaged in the field um, professionally and um, in a scholarly way as well. I think that's important because both have fed each other. Yes. Right. Um, and have fed each other significantly um, in terms of I'm learning about leadership. I'm teaching leadership and I'm practicing, practicing. leadership. Yeah, so oh, exactly. You're getting to do, learn and be. Absolutely. Um, almost like in a way that is a cyclical way that feeds itself. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, and I say that because I often encourage um, uh, folks thinking about career progression that, you know, you must do what you love and you must also think um, about growth horizontally. So for a long time, um, and this comes to what we were talking about in terms of, you know, just relying on my merits for right. progression. Yes. Um, for a long time, I, I was sort of, uh, you know, stuck in that middle tier of sort of early management, middle management. Right. But that then sandwich, I, right that there, sandwich right there. Responsible for folks, but you're still. Yeah, not yet in the senior leader. Yeah, senior leader. Right. And not part of that senior leader decision making realm quite yet, although very influential Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And I say to folks, really the the pivot for me, and I know um, there's also a pinch point here for being a black woman and African um, woman in the world um, is is the the whole narrative of needing to be twice as good Um, and and needing to have done so much more to be visible. You know, that whole thing about visible invisibility. Right. But, you know, there was a couple of things. There was a a mentor, um, a senior colleague, uh, you know, who um, I would definitely uh, say has been an ally to me, Mm -hmm. who I remember, and I remember being really annoyed when she started saying, you know, um, you need to push a little harder. We need to make sure you're more visible. I remember looking at her going, how hmm. much more visible can I get? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and going, uh, you know, um, and, and I say this with all humility at that point, right. looking at my credentials, I was well credentialed, probably more credentialed than and a lot of my colleagues. Here, right? um, I, I had done in my view, and I'm also in the space of leadership, so I know some of the right things to do, yeah, um, the, right? The necessary boxes you know, in terms of, yeah, showing interest, joining committees, right. doing... Sitting in boards, mm, I'm sure, like do, all of the th- right, different things. Right, um, and I And I remember, and now we've talked about this, it was partly their recognition, in fact, of some of the... the um, systemic barriers right. um, occurring consciously correct because the system is not correct change just because you're great correct uh-huh. um, and and their recognition that those things were beginning to occur consciously and unconsciously uh-huh. and um, and their commitments to to nudge me forward right. um, both gently and directly right. <laughs> so that was one thing the other thing is I remember sitting on a panel uh-huh of uh, senior women, uh, well, women leaders in healthcare mm-hmm. um, and, and um, finishing the conversation and somebody coming up to me after saying, that was amazing. Thank you so much. And why are you still in the role you're in and not in more senior leadership? Ooh. Ooh. I remember driving home that and day like, yeah and why? and well and and i and actually thinking what i actually was thinking mm. was have i really become that black woman who is mm. overqualified mm. um and 
underutilized hmm. in, in the role. Is that what that meant? Right. Well, the funny thing, Brenda, is, and, and for me, again, remember my mindset was your merits will show for yourself. So I shook it off. Been there, done that. Yeah, shook it off. Oh, yeah. whatever. I'm having fun in my career. I'm, you I'm know, doing the panels. The I'm speaking. Great. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fulfilled. I'm, fulfilled. I'm, I'm enjoying my work and right. I'm also teaching. And I was doing a ton of community um both pro bono and and consultancy work right. because since I came out of consulting lots of people had continued to engage me right. um in that way and so I was enjoying my career mm. so I kind of shook it up mm -hmm. the strange thing is that that, that then happened multiple times mm. and came from very senior people, people I respected or would have seen as um, icons in my field. Right. I ended up being in a situation of um, uh, having one of the icons in my field, both in terms of um, organization development and social change and uh, healthcare mm -hmm. come visit us um uh, where I was working then in BC and I was their host and co-facilitator and co-moderator and we just had a blast all day mm -hmm. and uh, this person looked at me at the end of the day and said you need to get moving you need to get a mentor you need to be leading um, beyond um, the local context right. you need to be leading regionally or in roles that give you broader influence mm -hmm. I see this too much do not get stuck mm. and I was like what just happened <laughs> I um, traveled to the U.S., um, was in a senior community of practice and um, in, in uh, a community that just dealt deep, deeply into our field mm -hmm. in terms of, again, leadership and organization development and systemic challenges. Mm -hmm. And someone who coincidentally now uh, um, was a, a senior executive in post-secondary on the U.S. side exactly the same conversation mm. asked me if I would have um, uh, dinner it was what that evening was uh, open open meal time and right. open networking time would have dinner with them I sat with them and they were like here are my observations mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. um, so you know when you speak like multiple right like when you speak um, I I hear so much more depth you speak in with authority you mm -hmm. move a room um, and I'm having a hard time understanding. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're doing well, yes. but understanding why you're still at the level of leadership that you're at right. um, and not at more senior levels of leadership. Mm -hmm. And just want to check with you whether those are your aspirations. I have to tell you, I didn't consciously yeah. say, you know, I want to be vice president. Like, right. um, not because I'm not ambitious and not because it, it didn't matter to me to do well. Right. But my mindset has always been do well with what I have, mm. maximize, look for the leadership opportunities, do that. And again, my merit will show for itself. Right. 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 <laughs> and, and if, um, and, and, you know, if, if I advance, so be it, but it's not like I was, I want to be clear because sometimes these things are heard differently. Right. It's yes. not like I was um, asking for what I wasn't, working to towards or contributing towards right um um but i think the point here is that when you are a black woman um and or a person from any socially marginalized group and right. i want to again emphasize socially marginalized right, not not personally um you know how you identify or how you show up in the world right um that you know, the research is clear, the statistics are clear mm -hmm. that there are systemic barriers that get in the way of you being seen mm -hmm. in the way that colleagues 
not from those groups right. tend to be more easily seen, right. um, promoted, given access mm-hmm. to opportunities that um, helps with career advancement. Right. And I think my senior colleague mentor I mentioned mm-hmm. saw that I wasn't being seen in the way that they thankfully were right. seeing me. Right. And in the way these three other individuals I've mentioned had seen, seen me, mm-hmm. um, but realized that systemically I may not be seen in that way. And they contributed to widening my lens right. um, and allowing me to think about the future career choices I made. And in fact, encouraged me, mm-hmm. you know, that one, one of those individuals, when I even wanted to shy away from accepting senior leader roles that right. I had then competed for, um, you know, was one of the, the people who said, you have to remember, mm-hmm. not many have access yes. to this, this, the level that you now potentially have access to, mm-hmm. um, and representation matters. Oh, so yeah. think very carefully about, about your yes and your no's. Right, and not just <laughs> shying away to yeah, things down. Yeah. So I, I wonder, because again, you have a network and I'm sure you're very well tapped into other black women, other black leaders. Is this something that's typical? So I want to unpack two things. One is um, the constant being, um, having to be 10 times as qualified just to be considered on the same level as your counterparts who don't come from the same background so there's that on one hand but on the other hand there's also just being told so so for you i think it's a really positive that you had multiple different people saying Mm -hmm. you're more than ready um but that is often not the case that's true in terms of if anything um i remember a white colleague saying to me that you know um you should really take your time like 10 mm-hmm. years away and i'm mm-hmm. like i don't have 10 years yeah. sitting down here at the same <laughs> level right like yeah. i'm not trying to climb prematurely yeah but at the same point um that is not the advice that they had given or they were giving to like the male counterparts with very correct. similar correct um, background correct so, and so i've had that experience too I, i'm just wondering what's that juxtaposition between um needing to be 10 times as good versus um, n- not having people seeing that in you? And how do you then, for those folks who know that they can do more, have probably yeah. done more, but yeah. are still not being seen, how would you kind of describe or even advise in that context? Yeah. You know, I think um, simplistically, I would I would say three things. I think one is um, for your area of passion, interest, um, your professional um, area of of career development, really, and I started saying this earlier, focus on horizontal growth Mm -hmm. as much Mm -hmm. as vertical growth. I think, um, because, and remember that was my experience. So I say this in in that context, um, I say it in that context where I, I didn't, and I, and I know people who say I'm going to target executive leadership or to be president or CEO, and that's not where I started at mm. all. Um, how, having said that, I would say that it's actually the ways in which I was horizontally developing myself mm-hmm. to take on roles and opportunities for broader influence that actually ultimately led to my, my, my vertical progression right. into um, more senior leadership roles. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, find that board, you know, start in the nonprofit space. They're always right. looking for good people that are professionally 
um, qualified, mm-hmm. you know, work your way into, um, you know, corporate boards, but start by, by getting the board experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe going and doing the certifications around that to, mm-hmm. to get into corporate type boards. Um, board experience is amazing. It gives right. you access to that that governance and um, critical decision-making right. when the traditional responsibility really rests with you. Mm, yeah, um, and, and it is true mm-hmm. that, uh, that often not having access to that level of leadership, folks don't understand how much that prepares you right. for actual um, senior leader roles in whatever sector. Mm-hmm. The, because you then get to deal with the complexities right. of um uh, working within the context of the communities you're supporting or varying interests, but then having to make decisions within, you know, boundaries of financial obligations or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So it's essential. So for me, it was things like joining boards, supporting community organizing, doing leadership development for um for different community groups or folks in nonprofits or international development or right. social change space mm-hmm. was using the skills I had in horizontal growth ways that widened my own perspectives right. and built my own leadership bench strength. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. Mm-hmm. Two is find your supportive community. True. Um, and, and supportive community that understands you in the fullness of your identity and intersectionality. So I had that. I mentioned I had that naturally with my family, Mm -hmm. but I also have an amazing um, community. Um, And specifically, I will shout out here my We Will Lead Africa Mm -hmm. group of three women. Um, We are three, we call ourselves Global African Women. We met at a conference on organization development, realized we had um, similarities as well as vast diversity in our in our backgrounds and our black identities, but, but connected. Um, and you know, that became a space for us to process, you know, what just happened, (laughs) you know, messaging each other, supporting each other, and then having the conversation about how little, um, black identity and uh, an African perspectives are represented in leadership, leadership. and organization development yeah. literature. Right. And then suddenly going, oh, we should do something about that. Well, qualified <laughs> enough to do that. Right. So that led to the We Will Lead Africa initiative right. and that book series and was something else that um, expanded um, the ways in which we all could use our skill sets mm-hmm. and contributed to our own um, career development right. and progress individually and collectively mm-hmm. um so so finding that supportive community where you can fully express yourself outside the mainstream right and that also creates developmental opportunities mm-hmm. the third thing is yes find that mentor that career that coach to help you navigate mainstream structures right um in order to advance you do have to understand how structures in whatever context and profession you're in work. Right. You gotta know the system. <laughs> you gotta know you the might system. Not like the barriers the system has, but you need to understand Correct. and know how to work the system. Exactly. To make the system work for you. And make the system work for you mm-hmm. and how to be part of a change within that system. Yes. Right? It and is that's not full circle. So if we're coming back to your SFU experience now, exactly. How is that now bringing you to that place where you're now? playing a role in the system to influence the system. Yeah. Well, you know, I accepted this role, um, as you know, post-Judge Floyd, yes. um, post-COVID, 
with all the rumblings in terms of not only social movements, but Black Lives Matters yeah. and an increased awareness of Black representation. Yeah. But also um, in a context where um, a lot of Black women um, stateside, for sure in post-secondary um, mm. across in the U.S., but certainly in, in Canada, colleagues I know um, are, and others um, were actually opting out of senior leader roles mm. because of the toll. And I want to shout out that that is a valid choice to oh, make. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, because of the, the personal toll it was taking to the emotional everything. labor of representation. Right. So um, saying yes to any senior leader role mm -hmm. um, as a black woman uh, at, at this point in history was a, what needed to be made with a lot of thoughtfulness. Yes. And I certainly did that. Yeah. There was a lot of reasons um, that it was important to me to continue to represent, um, and not represent, to do the work that I do at yes. senior leader roles. And, um, and not in consulting, yeah, not on the ground, yeah. but in that. In, in that senior leader circle. roles that influence um, systemic change for um, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, actually, it came down very personally, yeah. to be honest, um, to, uh, you know, whether, whether again, it was that chief people officer role or, or this pre vice president role. Yeah. Um, again, the context is uh, being in senior leadership within systemic structures at right. this moment in history as yes. a black woman. Yes. That's I'm going to quote my sister yes. who literally said to me, um, Similar to what the other colleague had said, not everyone has the opportunities to have access at the levels of senior leadership that you're now having. Mm -hmm. um, that is a privilege in itself that comes with responsibility. And again, that has oh, a bit of a pinch. Exactly. Like we all don't have to be responsible for race our race. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but specifically, she was saying this in the context of us looking at yet another um, black woman uh, frustrated by systemic pressure and had uh, stepped out from a senior leader role mm -hmm. and said, not all of us. I, I just remember her saying, not all of us can leave. Yes. Not all of us Somebody can leave. Somebody has to so Not all of us can leave. <laughs> and she said, Yabo, uh, um, you know, if you're not at the table, mm -hmm. um, you are not there to represent issues that matter. She goes, not all of us can opt out. Right. Consider that um, as you make your decision. Mm. And, and so this is about decision no making pressure. in general, <laughs> right? No pressure. Yeah. And of course, it was, it was uh, yeah, it was also very much a, a personal career choice mm -hmm. um, in terms of what I want to continue to do in the world and right. what matters to me. What influence do I want to have? What, um, what do I want to be proud of contributing to mm. in terms of, um, systemic change and progress right. in equity, diversity, and inclusion and organization development yeah. in terms of um, leadership, supporting leadership and structural change right. in post-secondary um, in this moment in history and in public sector in general, mm -hmm. because I do continue to work in my profession, um, support my professional board or right. support um, others through consultancy. And that's what matters to me right mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, devoid of ego, we all have some, but devoid of that, for me, what matters is what contribution do I want to make yeah. for the time that I can 
at this moment where I have the access that I have, mm-hmm. because surely I will pass the baton. We all so, do. Yes. And, and certainly and, not any one of us is going to make the kinds of changes that are needed holistically yes. in this moment in history. And you shouldn't be the one person, you know, like it, it is, it takes, it's a group effort. Uh, it's, it's it a generational <laughs> global effort. Yes. And it requires all of us yeah. of every social identity to mm-hmm. be part of the movement in this moment of history for continued yeah. social change and social justice. Wow. I stand on many shoulders, mm-hmm. well aware of that. But you're also a shoulder. And I'm here for it for you're right now. You're also a shoulder. That's right. Because... <laughs> here for it for right now. Yeah. And then I will surely pass the button. Absolutely. So that's me. So anything else you wanted to, to share as we round up? This has been really powerful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, mirroring, you know, seeing a fellow black female executive and leader. Mm-hmm. Um, those are some of the things that have inspired me to 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 keep going because you know sometimes like yeah. a, another role like aren't you tired but it's that when I think of my children when I think of the generation that's coming after us we need to make yeah. as much inroads in the system so that they don't have to start from scratch yeah. and so yeah. that's what I wanted to was there anything yeah. else you wanted to kind of share add round it up yeah, that is my hope. Mm-hmm. My hope is that every one of us in this moment of, of history will think as um, uh, many indigenous cultures think, that everything we do right now impacts mm-hmm. many generations. That's right. Um, that the generations before have impacted what we've inherited mm-hmm. and what we do now will impact the generations to come. Okay. And and that is my hope that, that as we, especially in our... Um, Canadian context here in Turtle Island contend with the reality of truth and reconciliation um, and begin to widen our knowledge systems to um, taking indigenous ways of knowing. Mm -hmm. We will take that in collectively and holistically. And and remember that everything we do matters for the next generations, seven generations into the future, Mm -hmm. um, and and do what matters. Personally and professionally, I would say to everybody, you do you. Do you be careful what you internalize. Um, I say to folks, I am not no good to anyone, including personally my family, if I'm carrying the kind of weight and load that being in a system and structure that doesn't um, celebrate, affirm, or see me in the ways we were describing Mm -hmm. um, can cause us to internalize. And, and, you know, the persistent trauma of that, I recognize that well, I Mm -hmm. speak about that, I write about that. And I would say personally to anyone listening or watching, right, and professionally, be careful what you internalize. Protect yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can both survive the systems we find ourselves in but also thrive and make a difference for those around you most immediately Mm -hmm. those that you're most connected with as your loved ones but also beyond that for what you know other black people in the world Mm -hmm. inherit going forward Mm -hmm. that's what i'd say deep (laughs) but thank you so much thank Mm -hmm. you for for sharing um, for being and for doing. And yeah. I think that each and every one of those representation matters, but beyond that, mm-hmm. um, there's the merit that you're bringing. It's not just presence, it's also um, influence and background that you're backing it up with. Um, so we're really, we're really privileged to hear from you. And I wish you all success in this role. Um, and I also hope that you continue to keep pushing because as you push, 
um, it, it, it pushes us to also want to push further. And I think that's going to be